support for Why Is That Important is 100% provided by you. We are blown away by the hundreds of downloads we've gathered over our first season, and we are super grateful to have the opportunity to host a second season. And even though submitting a podcast is free, there's a lot of other little expenses here and there, and that's where you come in. Even just a dollar a month goes a long way in making this podcast better. So, if you love this podcast and want to put some money behind it, go to patreon.com slash W-I-T-I, or you can click in the show notes. Uh, once again, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash W-I-T-I. We really appreciate it. And thanks for being a great listener. Why that the party? Why is that important? The podcast is called Why Is That Important? Hey there, and welcome to Why Is That Important, where regular people come for interesting ideas and perhaps a little debate. I'm your host, Joe Wanger, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Martin. Hi, everyone. And each week we have the privilege of interviewing someone who has something they feel is important enough to talk about, and we all take the time to discuss it and perhaps even disagree on it. And today's topic is community building and small groups, and I was struggling to find a good segue question here, Andrew. So what do you got? (laughs) Well, I would say as you and I are part of an informal small group, I think the segue has already made itself. That's true. That's a terrible segue. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, we really, it is. Now, if I think the trouble is like replicating what happened at what, uh, what we've been titled, if you haven't listen to to the episode bro fest um if you haven't had a chance to listen to that um how can we replicate what we had that weekend every week you know what even I mean? just like a regular basis yeah even if it's like yeah. once a month i think that's an I awesome think, thing but we also have like 20 some years of experience <laughs> behind it so and that's that's one of the big questions i always have for small groups is like Okay, how do you get to the point where you have that history or or you can replicate something that, you know, is analogous to that kind of history without going through and spending 20 years together or at least yeah. some of the time. So, I think or maybe th- the trick is just continuing even when maybe it's a little bit dull or it's like maybe it I also think maybe it's like one of the things like being in a band together, you just have to either gel or you don't. Um and then if you stick with it, and then twenty five years you, you just know each other. But well, I think James, you know, he he talks, he says some really good stuff about how the the small group, the if it's breathing and healthy and alive, it can get past some of those hurdles because you know people want to put that time and effort into the small group that I think it really takes to have those kind of friendships. And I think to me. It's that effort that really makes the difference. And so, you know, over 20 years, you wind up putting in that effort in part just because you can't help it. Like you spend that much time with somebody or you know yeah. them for so long, like there's a certain bond there. But if, you, if you're if you willing to put that effort in, you know, and go that extra mile at the get-go, I think you can still recreate that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And he did say a lot of really good stuff, but, uh, well, let me just intro him and then we'll get, we'll hop right into the conversation, but... Uh, James Sliger is our guest today, and uh, he comes to us all the way from the West Coast, which uh, was pretty cool. Uh, He's in Portland, Oregon, and he's a 33-year-old electrician. He's a father of four and a husband. 
he loves to study and learn. And uh, as I think we discovered in our conversation, and I already knew, uh, he's he's definitely a nerd. And we're totally okay with that because we are too. Um, he and I met via our wives that were part of a Facebook group. And they said, oh, you should talk on this program called, this app called Voxer. And we did. And uh, we've been able to talk uh, different points and just be able to just converse and and find out like you know what it's like to be in in Portland, Oregon, and um, it kind of resulted in in this conversation, which has been a theme, is this small group that they were they've been a part of. So, yeah, here's our conversation with James Sliger. All right, James. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hello. How you doing? Yeah, we're good. We're good. I think Andrew and I are both. Um, we've been. It's been a lot going on in our lives, but but we're good. So um, so today we're talking about you. You said community building and small groups. Before we get into the background, like maybe define what you mean by community building and small groups. Okay. Um, so this topic is something that. Um, has um, meant a lot to me in that um, <laughs> uh, my my uh, I was uh, raised in a church, a, a mega church actually, and uh, I always felt uh, lonely. And um, but I love people, and uh, um, sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> this is my first uh, podcast or uh, right. of, of meaning, but um, so. So when I say community and small groups, what I'm talking about is, um, you know, every people people really need to have connection points. They really desire relationships. And when you're isolated and you're um, and you don't feel accepted or you don't have um, a, a good support group, it's really hard to grow, or thrive. Um, it leads to depression and um, and feeling wanted and. Um, um, like part of something bigger than yourself, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh. So, if I can jump in, when when you say mega church, just give us an idea, because I think that means different things to different people. So I'm just yeah. curious, what like how big was your mega church? Um, it was about three thousand people, I think, is where I was going. And would that be like one service, or was it like spread out over a couple of services? There was a couple of services. There was like three or or something like that. Okay. So, I mean, there are definitely um, a lot of clicks. There was a lot of good things. I don't want to just uh, trash um, trash that, but there was a lot of clicks and um, status and um, uh, like economic differences that would kind of create these barriers or whatever. And um, being inside of that, um, I was definitely fully a part of that uh, because my grandpa and my parents and stuff. And uh, it was kind of cool because, well, it's actually really sad. My grandpa passed away, a different grandpa, and my family ended up moving um, away to Las Vegas. And I didn't know anybody for miles. Um, my dad was trying to start some business thing and he probably was doing it out of grief. But but anyways, when we were down in Vegas, uh, I definitely experienced a tremendous amount of lo- uh, loneliness and realized what it felt like to be kind of an outsider. Um, and so this is, you know, uh, I think I was like a junior in high school, something like that. Oh, wow. And so when I moved down there, um, 
uh, that definitely kind of opened my eyes to see kind of what I had and how I had treated people, um, you know, being in those cliques and stuff. And it was uh, a real eye-opening experience. Um, so were the, were the, were those boundaries and hurdles, were they, how were they policed and enforced? Was it just kind of like self-policing? Like people knew, oh, you know, you're not in the rich kid or popular kid club or, or whatever. And so don't hang out with those people. Or was there some kind of more overt mechanism that, you know, certain people weren't invited to certain functions or how, how'd that work? Um, so I think a little bit of, a li- mostly the first, a little bit of the second, um, if you came from a quote unquote good family, you would kind of get put into a, um, maybe a special mentorship or you get a little extra attention. So that would be kind of like an overt thing. Um, but there, a lot of it was just like social pressures, I guess, you know, like you just would spend time with people that you're like-minded. And I think that that's a lot of human nature that transcends like the church, that just communities in general, you typically gravitate towards people who have similar interests or, you know, similar careers, you know, people I who mean, make I'll, sense. I mean, and so like, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to throw that under the bus because, um, like I said, they're genuine people that are just trying to live their lives. But, um, but I guess, uh, my eyes became open to that, um, exclusiveness or inclusiveness, whatever you want to, that, that, that dichotomy, um, became very apparent to me when I moved, uh, to Las Vegas. So, yeah. So, um, I guess when, uh, when I moved back to Portland. Um, I, I mean, I guess, uh, I kind of want to say a little bit of kind of who I am and where I'm, I, I guess, uh, a little bit of, um, so I'm married and I have, uh, four kids. Um, and like I said, I, I grew as a, uh, up as a pastor's son. Um, and then when we moved back to Portland because of, uh, like nine 11 and the economy crashing and stuff, um, uh, I came back to church and as soon as I could kind of like, like left, um, as, as soon as, uh, as soon as I could, I left the church because I didn't um, connect again because I had left. And um, due to some life decisions and stuff, I wasn't really involved. Uh, and uh, and I also kind of saw a lot of masks that people were wearing. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of people acted like they were OK. And, you know, and and going to, you know, a movement like this or whatever, a church or a community um, for a long time, you start to see, you know, patterns or things that come up. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody just all of a sudden would leave their family or there'd be a big divorce kind of like out of the out of nowhere, you know. And it, it was just evidence to me that there was people that were just struggling uh, and, and they had a bunch of masks on. You know, they were pretending like they're okay. And that doesn't mean by any means everybody was like that. I mean, there was really genuine, awesome, compassionate people there. But on the other hand, there was a lot of uh, fakery, I guess, or, you know, phoniness. Yeah, yeah, totally. So when you moved you moved to Vegas, uh, you said junior year in high school, when you moved back to Portland, like around what, what age were you at that point? I, I was, it was in my senior year. So we went down, I was about, I was down there for about a year and a half. And then I came back um, in, so, in probably okay. the middle of my senior year. So senior year, you're kind of getting ready to, to leave high school. And you're also seeing all this stuff going on in the church. And you're kind of sick of it, which is, is not an uncommon um, uncommon theme, for, I think, for a lot of people our, our age. Because I think you are, you're what, you're low 30s, right? Yes, I'm 33. Okay, so... Um, it seems like there's a there's a very much a 
uh, a pattern um, in a lot of churches around this time where there was just kind of this expectation that either people should be perfect or look perfect. Um, and a lot of teens were coming out of that going, you know, I, I don't like this. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me, especially with you say one on one hand, you know, um, God is, God is good. But on the other hand, everybody has to be a certain way. So you've moved back, you've moved back as a senior, you're getting ready. I would, would assume to you're either considering college or, or something like that. And you, did you go leave the church before you graduated or was this like right afterwards? Um, yeah, my, my, uh, my loyalties or my heart was not there at all. I was just going through the motion because I had to attend. Right. Um, and I didn't see any purpose or reasons why I would even go to church. So as soon as I had the opportunity, as soon as. Was your dad the pastor at that point in time? Uh, no, he was, uh, uh, an associate. Okay. He was, uh, uh, he, he was, uh, at that point he had actually stepped down. Before we moved to Vegas, he was a pastor there. He had stepped down because he did something different, and then he had come back. Uh, he works in another church now, and he's a great guy. Um, my dad has done a lot of really good things, um, you know. So, but he wasn't uh, directly involved with that church that I was going to. Okay. Okay. Just trying to understand. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so I guess. Um, so yeah. Anyways, I I uh, was preached, you know, like the, you know, purity messages in and out, which really didn't have a lot of meaning to me because, you know, why wouldn't I want to spend time with attractive girls? You know, like (laughs) that's really dumb to me. And it wasn't, uh, there was like no relationship. It was all just like moralism or works righteousness. And, and, uh, especially if you don't really necessarily agree with that, it's really hard to fabricate that. Uh, at least from my perspective, it was really hard to, you know, pretend. I mean, and so you put your little mask on, you uh, wouldn't show any vulnerability because the people that did say that they struggled with something, um, you know, would uh, kind of be put on a bad list. And then, you know, girls wouldn't talk to you or, you know, people would kind of kind of steer clear of you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't, I'm not just trying to dog this one church because <laughs> hopefully <laughs> this was my, you know, my experience. And some of it was also probably immaturity in that I was 20 something, you know, and my perspective is limited. But, but anyways, all in all, like, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have faith in God. I mean, I knew he was real or whatever. And um, I liked people, but it tended to be, I, I had a hard time connecting with like super spiritual people because they would just go on and on about something I really didn't care about, you know, or like quote scripture at me. And then, you know, I tended to really like to spend time with girls, you know, and, and party and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, so as soon as I, uh, <laughs> as soon as I graduated and got kicked out of my house, um, basically I just kind of lived for myself and I just, uh, I just had headed headlong into you know, narcissism into selfishness. Um, and everything that I did and pursued was, you know, for my own gain. And I, I think most of the population, you know, of the country we live in would probably not see a lot of problem with that on the surface. You know, I, I'm trying to get a job, I'm trying to pay my bills. But, um, you know, from a spiritual perspective, I really didn't care about anyone else, um, which, you know, led me to a really uh, dark place. You know, uh, a lot of my uh, nature desires, uh, started to develop and come into some pretty horrific fruit, if you will. Um, and, uh, which led me to a really depressing place, you know, and, uh, you know, broken relationships and, you know, addiction to pornography and, you know, I, I, <laughs> like God loves me a lot because I was, uh, in a drug dealer's house 
house with this girl I'd met and, you know, I was debating whether to buy cocaine or not. Um, oh, actually, wow. I was totally going to. And then the drug, the guy who was bringing the shipment or whatever, he uh, he was late and he was he was like stuck in traffic or something was up. And so then the girl started to freak out because she wanted it like now. And because she had a big enough scene, I was like, if this is what Coke does to you, like, I want no part of this. And so, like, that was one of those, like, saving graces or whatever. And so, um, anyways, it, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an electrician. And so uh, I'm living in an apartment, uh, you know, going through the apprenticeship, really depressed, kind of isolated. I've isolated a lot of uh, family friends, people that was trying to reach out to me. Um, and um, anyways, I was watching a show called Nip Tuck. It's on, like, uh, <laughs> what is it called? Um, uh, it's called... It, it's on uh, plastic surgery down in it's a, it's a, like a soap opera or whatever. It's it's down in uh, Miami, Miami or something. That's yeah. The, yeah, yeah. And so it's about these like it's the dumbest show ever. So I'm watching this, you know, <laughs> I, on whatever Netflix or whatever show that they had streaming or if they even had it back then. I might have been watching the DVDs, but anyways, I was watching it and uh, and through the, one of the characters' story unfolding, I realized that everything that this guy was pursuing was. Um, uh, just basic hardcore materialism, you know, money, riches, women, drugs, pleasure, you know, houses, you know, fast cars, whatever. And then like his life falls apart. And then I'm like, you know, being selfish and how the world revolves around me. I start to see like, you know, wow, uh, this is me. And this is the, this is what I'm going to, um, this is, uh, this is the goal or trajectory that I'm headed to. And I think I was 22, roughly at this time, maybe 20 something anyways. But, uh, so anyways, I feel convicted and I'm like, you know, and I start doing this analysis of like all of the honorable men that I know in my life live one way and all of the really crappy guys that I know live another way. And they're selfish, they're self-absorbed, they do everything. Um, they have broken relationships. Their kids think that they're crap. Like, you know, and so I do this constant, like this analysis in my brain and uh, I find myself, you know, on that side of the equation. And then I go, you know, all these other people are really great. So, um, so, you know, in that I'm like, you know what, I really need to go to back to church. So I do. And, um, and then we go right back into moralism. You know, I, I started attending, you know, my parents were all excited about it. And the same uh, church you had left or a different <laughs> church? Yeah. Cause I was desperate. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my own decisions and stuff um, had led me to a really dark, you know, following my, you know, passions of my flesh or whatever had taken me to this. So, I go right back to the church that, you know, had failed me to begin with and, uh, and then right back, right into moralism. And thankfully, I had a, a coworker, a Christian coworker, who um, one of the things that I can do while I'm working is listen to music or audio files. And he said, hey, you know, I've been listening to these sermons you know, hey, do you, let me borrow your, you know, I think it was like an iPod or iPad <laughs> or something. It was like a old, one of the old versions. Um, and he downloaded some sermons for me. And I started listening to one in particular. And uh, I think it was like a pastor called Matt Chandler. And he just started talking about, he was really cynical towards religion. And he talked about grace and the gospel. And that like changed my life. And I've always really liked people. And I've really always enjoyed creating communities. But um, I don't want to be part of something that's fake. And I don't want to be part of some religion, you know, where it's do better, try harder. Because I'm really bad at that. Like, I really need grace, <laughs> you know. And so... Um, and going through that, 
um, I went through a radical transformation and, you know, Christ became my Lord and Savior and, you know, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, like changed my life where, you know, we're dead in our trespasses and sin and Christ saves us and he redeems us and, you know, basically brings us to life. I mean, I could read the scripture for you, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, like changed my life. And, um, and so then that started to me thinking about like, well, how are we doing communities? How do I live my life? And like my faith, I guess, became my own. And so another cool thing that happened is I started to study and I started to read and like something that I'd never been a really great student. I was always kind of witty and smart and like math and had kind of an engineering mind, but I never really had an interest in you know, deeper thoughts. And once I was, I guess, saved or God saved me, um, I just started studying a ton. And, you know, I started some small groups and I made a bunch of mistakes and um, went back and forth. And um, um, uh, and, and I ended up meeting my wife and getting married. And then that had a whole bunch of relationships uh, problems, you know, we had, uh, we, I got my wife pregnant before we were married. So there's setbacks and, and, uh, difficulties, which then compounded in the future. I've been married for eight years now and I've got four kids. So we've been fruitful and multiplied, um, but it hasn't, <laughs> but it hasn't been an easy road. You know, like, uh, there's been bouts of our marriage where, you know, we love each other and really passionate and are following Christ and in and in are in harmony and dancing and, you know, just our life is in beat. And then there's been other times where we're raging and warring against one another. And it's just so crazy. You know, why do we do those things? And, you know, why am I, you know, my beautiful wife, why am I looking at pornography? Why am I, you know, holding these grudges? And, you know, why, you know, um, I mean, it's not helpful to point the finger at another person. I mean, obviously you can't change somebody else, but doing that painful evaluation of being like, okay, why am I doing these things that I know are not good? And, you know, why am I so selfish? And why, you know, do I, and she's doing the same thing, but, you know, in a different, different way, you know, and, um, you know, going to counseling and then, um, you know, it, it's been, uh, it's been an awesome journey because I went through a, a period of salvation and beauty and learning and growth. And then I basically got thrown to real life of being like, all right, let's practice now. Let's not just do theology. Let's do, you know, praxis, praxis or practice, you know? And, um, so, but, um, in the meantime, all of these things, you know, are, you know, you'll come into a group or you'll form a community or, you know, even your marriage is a form of a, like a small group. Like, a, I mean, it's the most intimate form, I guess, but like there are things that happen in these, in these groups that, um, um, you know, draw each other together and you learn and grow and you do life together. Um, and then, um, <laughs> I guess I've just learned a lot going through all these uh, difficulties, I guess. And so one of the things that, um, I guess has worked the best or something that has been really helpful is when things are, hel when things are rough, being intimate and vulnerable and honest to people that are safe, I guess, that aren't just trying to kill you, I guess, emotionally or whatever, um, is, uh, uh um, uh, has led to a lot of freedom. So like, um, and life and hope. And so, um, I'm kind of, I guess, all over the place in some regards. So I apologize for that. But, um, but I've noticed we, we did this small group and it was kind of unique to, to anything else. And so all this history or whatever, we did this small group for about two years and it was really special. Like we had kind of gone to different churches and been disappointed, 
through various different reasons, or I had to move because, you know, um, we were going to a local church and we moved all the way across town and went to this other church. But, um, so we hadn't really found a good place to connect. And, and, um, we started doing this like unique kind of small group. We did it on Friday nights. My wife connect contacted with some of her friends and I contacted some of my old friends and we started getting together and doing life together on Fridays. And so we would do like a meal together and it was kind of, we went to different churches, but we all had like a faith in Christ. And, um, it was really special because it was a place that people, it was okay to not be okay. Um, and it wasn't like a boast in your weakness, like session where it's like, it's awesome. You know, I blah, 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 you know, did this horrible thing, but rather it was like, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Can you encourage me? And, um, and it was a really awesome season in my life with my wife. And, you know, I think there was two or three couples and a bunch of kids and stuff, but we were really vulnerable and, um, we were really intimate and, and just sharing, you know, our struggles and, like I, I just, I told you, like one of the things that I've struggled with for a long time is like pornography. And I think that I'm not alone because as soon as you talk to, you know, other guys, they're like, yeah, I struggle with that too. You know, I don't really know how to figure that out. But I noticed that I have the most success when I'm open and honest about and just say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is not okay. You know, I need some support and prayer and encouragement. And just getting that out in the open is really life-giving. It's really... Um, I guess encouraging, um, and uh, um, having hands reach out to help you instead of just kicking you when you're down, you know. And so we we um, I don't know. It's kind of akin to like that that small group was definitely akin to like you know almost like going to war with somebody and you kind of go through a traumatic experience and you come out the other side and you're like super loyal or you feel like this deep connection because you know their junk and they know your junk. Your best friend's always the guy next to you in the foxhole kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I've, I mean, I've, I've started, um, yeah. So I guess, do you have any questions? Before? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how, how did that, you know, multi-church, multidisciplinary small group come into being? Like, where'd you guys meet and, you know, how'd you decide to do life like that? And were you guys in similar stages of life where you're all like, uh, you know, young, recently married with a few kids, maybe, I don't know how long ago this was, but, or was it kind of like uh, a variety of people in different walks of life? And, you know, some were like older, retired, and maybe some had like high school kids or you know, what'd that look like a little bit? Just flesh that out for us. Before you answer that, can yes. I just make sure we're all on the same page for the, I'm just trying to think for the listener who is uh, either unchurched or um, newly churched, when we say small group, uh, generally what that means is, at least in the fashion that you were talking about in the past, um, being in a church um, context would be people coming together where, where I say that 3,000 people can be broken down into smaller chunks, which can range anywhere from five people to 50 people, depending on how the church defines a small group. It's almost like little mini churches within that. And then the function of those can vary depending on what the church wants to do. Sometimes it's based around topics. Sometimes it's based around location. Sometimes it's based around, you know, the, the, this time of life that people are in. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure before we got into that, that people who may not be familiar with what we're saying, they give them a, I just wanted to give them a good picture of what you mean uh, when we say the words small group and kind of the expectations that have come along with them for us who have grown up in the church. 
Yeah, that's that's great, Joe. <clears throat> um, yeah, so the, the small group that we, or the, the group of people, um, was uh, eclectic. And we grew. I mean, we started out kind of small. It was like a friend of mine and his married wife who had no kids, uh, a single girl that my wife invited. And actually, I think there was two single girls my wife invited, and then I had a single guy friend. Um, so that was kind of the beginnings of our, our group. Later on, uh, another married couple with kids would come, and then we had a couple old guys that would show up. That um, Yeah, so uh, we did have kind of a, 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 a wide range. And we had actually... Uh, um, yeah, so, I mean, it was all over the place. I wouldn't say that it was just, you know, married couples with kids or singles or, you know, something like that. So, But it was probably no more than, like, 20, 25 people. But I definitely like it smaller because it typically is a little more intimate. Um, but I, And some people would come and some people wouldn't. But, but um, could you uh, – yeah, so that's kind of how – some of them are from past uh, – Yeah, so what, what brought you guys all together? Because I mean, – being so eclectic like that, it's hard to imagine you guys happen to, you know, all meet at work or in the grocery store or what have you. So, like, yeah, some of them. One was a friend that I had gone to like uh, first or second grade with, and I just kind of stayed in contact with him. And I actually hadn't talked to him for like four or five years. And I was studying this topic on like Sabbath because I like to study different weird, you know, topics that aren't necessarily quote unquote main- mainstream. And so I was like, you know, what does you know Sabbath rest look like? You know, and not from a religious side, but just and so we kind of started with the group with like this intention of like getting together, trying to do communion, which is a religious ceremony, um, and then just worshiping and then just talking about, you know, what how we're doing. You know, that was basically the format, pretty open and, you know, um, and we'd read some scripture and we kind of unpack it. Later on, it would get a little bit more structured in some regards, but it kind of still kept that fluidness, um, you know kind of where people were at i mean it, it kind of the small group kind of matched where people were at and, and how they were doing who who on whose shoulders did the organization and uh responsibility to make sure something happened to fall uh we didn't really have uh oversighting um so it was just one of the members would send out a text or it was just understood that you know, every Friday at this person's house or how'd that work? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would probably call everybody if there was like a schedule change, but it was like a long standing, like every Friday night at, you know, six or seven o'clock, you know, we would get together and we'd at either the same do location. like a dinner. Yeah. At my house. Yeah. I'd host. Okay. And then, um, yeah, there was a lot of fun logistics, you know, there was definitely conflict and we got to work through resolution. I mean, it was kind of a really cool season because you're, you know, you're becoming kind of like family, you know, and I, and I really had missed um, that. And I think you can probably do that, you know, within a church as well, you know, have that kind of intimacy. But um, yeah, it was a really cool, like just calling people out of the day, just, you know, out of the, you know, in the week and just seeing how people are doing, you know, like, no, how are you really doing? You know, not just good, but like, I don't know. It was just a really fun, awesome, great season. So how would you define this differently than what you would say church would be because from my perspective it sounds like what you were doing was probably just really healthy church (laughs) instead of (laughs) um you know church church with with this on the side uh uh could you say that one more time yeah how would you do how would you separate how would you define this differently than church like why would okay. why do you why do you call this small group and that church and and why do you why would you consider them to be different or separate? 
Okay, so um, I'm a little art alternative living in Portland. You know, we have to try to do things a little odd. Um, but I think the term church, uh, generally when people are thinking about it, uh, they're dealing, they're thinking about an organization. Um, and that organization probably has a, uh, you know, a tax exemption, you know, the, you know, uh, you know, that whole with a pastor and elder board and all these doctrinal statements and stuff like that. Um, but I think the Bible isn't as rigid as that, you know, um, I think that, you know, whenever a group of believers get together, you know, that would be a church. Now, I think it's important to have elders and pastors for accountability so you don't get off into unhealth, I'll say. Um, but um, I think words are just used as a tool to try to convey an idea. And so, in a sense, I mean, we worshiped, you can worship at church. Um, yeah, I, I think a church is more of an organization or something a little more traditional, whereas we sang songs or hymns or whatever. Uh, we'd read scripture, we'd encourage each other, and we would do communion. I mean, that's basically the basics of a church. I, I had a, a, a resistance to call it necessarily house church, even though that's kind of functionally what it was, but um, because I do think that the organization of a church has a lot of value. And so we were going to a church at the time we were doing a small group as well. So it wasn't necessarily a replacement, but definitely supplementary. And it was definitely a, an awesome social experience that was that kind of paid off in dividends, I think. So maybe it was church broadly defined, but not church how our culture would usually see it as, as you put it, you know, tax ID number, probably a specific building with uh, specific officers and specific roles and specific meeting times as well published and so on and so forth. But the functions of the church were in some way or another all performed there, yes or no? Yeah, yeah, exactly, Andrew. Um, uh, like there were some people that were going through some financial hardships, so we collected some money to help them out with their problems. Um, we would uh, help watch each other's kids sometimes to go out on dates. Um, we did a little bit of um, counseling or advice. Sometimes, generally, those would be private, obviously, you know, like my wife and I would help encourage somebody with the situation or something like that. Or, and I didn't, I wasn't just leading it. Like I was co-leading with my friend, uh, cause uh, he had gone to seminary and, um, um, it was actually pretty cool to have him on board cause he had a ton of resources to draw from. So. That sounds like a fascinating group. I can understand why it would be, a, especially if it's happening in your house. So you know, it takes a lot of the effort of <laughs> getting things packed up and going somewhere. People come to you and do church. It sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, and there was logistic problems. I think we had like, uh, I think at a time we had like like seven kids and they were all at a really young age where they had a hard time. Um, uh, yeah. I would, like Sleeping somewhere between or yeah, three, three and five and seven, you know, like they were just kind of like jumping off chairs. And so we had to actually... <laughs> all chip we chipped in to pay for a sitter you know or or we would just pay for it you know whatever but um so we had to come Been up there. with some logistics there yeah and, you know so that's kind of you know a, uh it was somewhat of a hindrance but i bet you um you know as we en endeavor to do this kind of a thing again i mean it, it was kind of a cool season like uh at the end of two years we kind of all scattered and kind of were 
sent to the four winds. It was kind of funny. A couple were uh, moved to the other side of town. Another couple got more involved in their church and started like leading their small group stuff. Uh, we started going to another church that needed us to, and uh, uh, needed our help a little bit. And um, and some of the older guys ended up. Um, uh, I think one of them moved to Texas or is going to or something. So, anyways. <laughs> it was uh I'm, anyway so it was just would, a really fun uh experiment i guess w- would you do something like that again if the opportunity arose oh 100 percent, yes um and it was really cool because it wasn't like selfish um i've been in small groups before in the past or a group with a group of people where they just you have a group of people that just show up and they're just takers they have no intention of seeing how you're doing they just dump all of their issues on you and you know in in a sense like we we, you know, I'll help and serve and stuff, but it, it, my wife and I would joke about like certain types of people being energy vampires and they didn't want help or real encouragement. They just wanted to like suck your energy by just complaining, you know, and you offer a suggestion or encouragement or prayer and they kind of just shrug, shrug it off and then they come back. Anyway, so I've been to some, some small groups where like everybody is just trying to get the maximum out of it and there's no service and it's just, it kills it. It kills the group. It kills the friendships. You know, it's were just those, it's really were, difficult. Were those small groups um, that were the energy vampires? Were they part of when you like part of the church's small group? Like, uh, like yeah, the, orga- yeah, yeah. the organized church. I, the reason why I ask is I feel like I feel like we've tend to culturally have assumed that church is more of a consumption mechanism than it is to be this sharing. Um, of of things together and i mean i'm just i'm just here going you guys you guys weren't doing a small group you guys were doing church i feel like what you were probably doing on sundays was was just big group and you would come (laughs) together on on fridays and you would do church because i've had i've had the opportunity to do something similar with just one other one other couple every week and it it's there's been moments where we're where we've been burnt out um with with other things going on and that night was church. And when you read scripture and you see the things there as what the church did, and you're talking about all these things that they did, there weren't there weren't 501c3 organizations, and there weren't um, all of these like staff members that that were needed, and there wasn't this building that had to be maintained and and kept, and there wasn't organized outreach evangelistic. Things and there wasn't, you know, we have to have this thing. I got to push back it. a little bit on that last one, Joe. There totally was organized evangelistic outreach. I mean, they specifically gathered money and commissioned Paul to go to the Gentiles. So, I mean, that was their purpose there. All so, right. I programmed like programmed systematic outreach. So that that's <clears throat> what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would. I mean, as. Uh, I'm hesitant to agree with you, but I think you're right. It was a church, you know, and my friend, my friend and I were both, you know, essentially overseers or pastors, I guess, of that. The reason I'm hesitant is, you know, that's a huge responsibility and I don't want to spread false information, you know. So I did spend a lot of time studying when we were presenting things. Um, <laughs> so, which, uh, to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, um, but I mean, I, I think you're, I mean, if you go back into church history for the first, you know, 300 years, 200 years, you know, Christians met in small houses and I mean, they were, they had to be careful that they weren't exposed or they would be, you know, killed and 
thrown into the Coliseum. And, you know, by necessity, they had to kind of keep it small. Um, it wasn't until Constantine, you know, founded, you know, legalized Christianity. And then the organization started to, you know, the state basically kind of started, the state religion kind of was started to be formed, you know. And then, then fast forward another 200 years, you get Catholicism. <clears throat> so, And I think when the church has really thrived, has been in similar situations, you think about, you know, the post-Reformation, some of the, the house churches that were being relatively persecuted, and they were forced to meet in small, decentralized places. You know, you, you hear some really amazing stories that come out of that. And frankly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish the persecution on everyone, anyone, but I would wish <laughs> some of the experiences that came out of that on just about anyone. So, well, and that's think, what I'm getting at. Like everybody that I've ever talked to that has had an experience similar to, to what James is talking about here has just been. It has been this this life giving thing that they can't they can't like express. It's hard to articulate just how good it has been for them and for the people in that. That group and nobody, I've, I've just never heard anybody speak ill of it and going, man. Like in that time, all I was thinking was, man, if only there were another two thousand nine hundred seventy-five people here, this would be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I would agree. I've never heard anyone say that, but I have also witnessed, not personally, but from afar, I've seen those kind of groups also devolve and eventually spiral out of control and you know somebody runs it quite ham-handedly and starts saying pretty terrible things that aren't actually true and drink the cool and so there, yeah exactly and so there is a while there is an, an amazing activity that can happen there they they're also relatively vulnerable to false teachers and you know wolves in sheep's clothing kind of thing which i think frankly is why paul is you know, warns the Corinthians and the other churches so heavily about that. It's like, look, you guys are small. None of you guys are actually that great at this yet. Um, you barely know Jesus. You met him last week, essentially. <laughs> so somebody could waltz in there and just start making crap up. And what are you guys going to do? Like, I mean, Paul doesn't put it that bluntly. It's probably the reason he wrote the Bible and not me. Um, but uh, I do I do think it's, it's an amazing social environment in which you really get to know people and see the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. Um, but it is also, it can, it can, I'm not going to say it's always, but it can be vulnerable um, to going off the rails a bit. I 100% agree with you. Um, I mean, inevitably, whenever you have people together, you have conflict. If you spend enough time with people, you're going to have bumps along the road. And I mean, a lot of that is how, you know, how do you handle that conflict? Are you, you know, going to... Is, is it relationship ending? Is there a way to have forgiveness or reconciliation? Um, and and the other thing is like, yeah, some crazy ideology could be slipped in there. I and mean, that's how kind of cults start. You know, you have one charismatic leader that is, oh, man, this is great, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then before you know it, you know, he's sleeping with taking, all the teenage girls. Yeah. Yeah. Or something <laughs> or weird. Something yeah. Weird. yeah. And <laughs> or I mean, something. I did try the church I was going to. I did try to reach out and say, hey. I'd like some accountability because I think that accountability is not a bad thing. Um, I mean, if they're going to control you and try to force you into doing something you know you're not supposed to do, that's not a good thing. But I did want some accountability specifically on the doctrine and just to say, hey, what, you know, a support system. Um, and the church I was going to kind of felt threatened by it, I think, or they were just indifferent, um, which was really, we ultimately left there because they were kind of, 
relationships were not important. They just wanted to stand up and teach, but that was a little rough. <laughs> I went and talked to the elders and I was like, you know, tried to be like, hey, you know, I really think we should work on, you know, discipleship or relationship building here. And they're like, mm, you need to prove to us where we're sitting in the Bible. And I'm like, I really don't like to make, I don't really want to have to make a case for discipleship, but okay. Uh, <laughs> well, and that's, that's, oh, man. that's this conversation going is about gonna go so way backwards. Yeah. Well, and this conversation is going to go way off tangentially here, I think. But yeah, I think we've all, we've all, the three of us here have certainly experienced enough bad church. <laughs> to be able to riff, riff on that for a while. Well, well, okay, I want to I want to say something on that. Yes, if you're going to a church and it's so frustrating, first of all, there's no perfect churches, and then you're going to roll your eyes and go, "Yeah, I know that," but it doesn't mean the bad things that are happening to you is okay. Like that's still bad. They shouldn't, you know, that whatever, you know, like you know, not being shepherded or, you know, being treated poorly or being discriminated or whatever that is, that's still not acceptable. Um, there is no perfect church. Yes, that's not acceptable. We should still have grace for those people because even leaders or pastors, like my grandfather was a pastor, you know, and I, I've seen him, you know, in his backyard wearing his work clothes. Like he's got issues and he's just trying to love people. And I don't know, like the older that I get, the more I used to be pretty upset with my father and all the reasons why he, you know, let me down. And even this other church that I, you know, started with, I mean, what they were trying to do was a really good thing. I mean, they were trying to teach the gospel. They were trying to encourage better lives and develop character and teach scripture. And, but, you know, the functionality and some of those things fell short. And I think that, I mean, in this whole conclusion is, you know, relationship is so important, genuine just honest, even though it might be painful relationship, um, which takes a lot of time, which takes a lot of effort, and it directly flies in the face of our materialistic world, you know, because in our world, we want to get more, we want to take, we don't want to give, we want to build, become more and more popular or powerful, you know, whether that's social media or your bank account. And, <clears throat> you know, like mega churches, I think, are a, a reflection of, you know, our culture to some degree, because, yes, you might have a great guy who's able to communicate to a thousand different people. But what's the point of connecting with all those thousands of people if you don't have a relationship with your son or your daughter or your wife? You know, like relationships take a lot of time. And I think that's one of the most powerful and special things about Christianity and or true Christianity is God, the God of the universe, desires to have a relationship with us, you know. And and I think healthy churches aren't just trying to reach out to the masses. And that doesn't mean that they're exclusive, like, you know, just us and no more. But, you know, what's the point of, you know, sharing to millions of people a little truth when you can disciple and spend and do life with people where they, you change their family line, you know, you change their trajectory of where they're going. You help them, teach them how to be great fathers and teach, teach them how to be great husbands. And, you know, obviously I'm speaking from a male perspective, but I think that, um, yeah, I think that <laughs> intimacy is really important, you know, and vulnerability and relationship. And I think that that's what I was missing, I guess, you know, early on is I never had a relationship with God until he wooed me. And I didn't have a relationship with my community because there was all these different cliques and people wore masks. So, yeah, I, yeah, that happens. <laughs> and I should clarify, I, I, I was thinking back, I was like, 
I'm not saying that big equals bad, um, because obviously in the early church, three thousand people came to know um, who Jesus was in a, <laughs> in one moment. So big does not. And I don't think they broke bad. off into groups of ten or fifteen either. Right. <laughs> they were like, all right, well, hey, uh, you ten, you meet together. You ten, you meet together. I'm. But uh, I'm just saying. I was just. My point was less about the the number and more about the the what, the substance. And so what you just said, uh, what you said is, is fantastic. I mean, that's, it's really what it's, it's really what it's about is, is coming together and hopefully being able to be more each, each and every day, um, wooed by Jesus and becoming more and more like him in what we do. Um, which based on current events seems to be, um, something the, the world needs more and more uh, no, each, yeah. and, each and every day. <laughs> so divisive. Yeah. I mean, if you don't agree with me, you're, you know, the worst person in the world. <laughs> like that's not helpful. That's not. Yeah. So um, I have some resources, I guess that uh, some inspirations. I mean, I, like I said, I've done a lot of research um, on a ton of different topics. I love history too. And um, so I kind of have, <laughs> like, I really like to read like ancient dead old guys, I guess. So like, uh, Augustine's confessions, I think is exceedingly relevant, especially if you can get a good like translation of that. Um, because it deals with a guy who was raised in ancient Rome or ancient Greece. I mean, with, uh, you know, upper middle class, great education. He, uh, struggled with, um, materialism and went to a bunch of different worldviews, uh, and, uh, was convicted and it's really cool it's just a really genuine like uh, a heart of a church father and he played a major role in contributing to the creation of our canon so i really liked uh, augustine's confessions i also a theologian that i really enjoy who most theologians talk about theories and it doesn't necessarily equal practical and i don't like that because if you are teaching me some theory that i can't use you know, it's a great thought exercise, but it's not going to give me bread or teach me how to fish or whatever. And one of the theologians that I think did a really good job of practically applying his understanding was Bonhoeffer, and his Cost of Discipleship, I think, is a fantastic book. And he lived during, like, World War II with the Nazis. He lived in Germany, and he actually even tried to assassinate Hitler. So oh, yeah. you can read his biography. It's a fantastic book. It's a long book, but it's, it's really good. And Which- I really... Which biography did you are you are you talking about the the uh, one that's recently come out by Eric? Yeah, Texas? yeah, yeah. Fantastic, mm-hmm, that's a fantastic, fantastic book. Yep. Yeah, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and I I really liked his Cost of Discipleship, and so um, it's kind of cool because he he was raised in a um, the German Church at the time, the High Church or whatever was very intellectual, you know, and he went to New York. And I think he went to like Harlem or something, and and basically had an encounter with Jesus and it, the relationship with Jesus and his perspective of his relationship with God shifted and, and it changed his life, you know, and what he did. And he's a little hardcore. A lot of some of the stuff he did, I don't know if I could actually apply into my life, but um, there's a lot of really great perspective on prayer and community. And um, anyways, so, and then, uh, Timothy Keller, uh, he wrote a lot of, uh, he's written a book on counterfeit gods. I think he's a Presbyterian pastor in New York, who I think grew up in Pennsylvania, which is where you guys are from. But um, he 
he did a he wrote a book about idolatry that kind of wrecked me you know <laughs> just changed my perspective because you think of idolatry you think of like a, I don't know when I was a kid you think about like a statue or something but it's so much more than that it's it's you know if you put value hope dreams into something other than God you know I mean, it could be a good thing that you're making into an idol like I can worship my wife you know, and I don't even realize it and I'm putting a weight on her, but I'm kind of deviating. But those are some of the books that contributed to the culture, I guess, that I've been trying to create over here in Portland with my friends. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, you had, how do you want people to find you online? Yeah. Um, I don't do a ton of social media. Um, I genuinely try to have conversations with people either on the phone or in person. I'm not trying to be whatever, but I have an email account. And so if you feel like you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can email me at james.ashley.sliger, S-L-I-G-A-R. And Ashley is uh, A-S-H-L-E-Y, um, sliger at gmail.com. James.ashley.sliger at gmail.com. All right, cool, cool. Well, um, last question for you. What is something that you're currently, you mentioned a couple of books, but what is something you're currently either reading or listening to? So what I'm currently reading and I'm almost done is uh, The Name of the Wind. It's a fantasy book. Um, and I've kind of, I kind of ebb and flow between like entertaining writings and then like theological or philosophical works. But right now I'm listening to The Name of the, Name of the Wind. And uh, it's pretty good. I enjoy it. Um, it's What's about... A young dude who struggles <laughs> and goes through atrocities, and there's some magic and stuff. Oh, cool. So, yeah, it's actually a pretty good book. Uh, yeah, I, the writing style is actually pretty good. So, I'm, I'm, I need to see how it ends. I think it's part of a trilogy or something, but I'm not sure. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm reading right now. Something a little more lighthearted. That's cool. That's cool. Well, uh, Thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast. This was this is a really good conversation, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm, it was rough to begin with. <laughs> no, no, that's totally okay. Uh, we, I feel like this conversation is so many different like pockets of of content here that we could talk about for hours each. So um, I really appreciate you you coming on, being willing to share a little bit of your story and be um, be vulnerable, and just to share with us just the importance of know small groups and uh, community within our lives i think it, it it makes a ton of sense to me and i hope it makes makes sense to our listeners yeah thanks a lot thanks a lot james yeah of course thanks for having me on i really appreciate it and uh yeah uh again sorry for the rough start but <laughs> you know, whatever it's good <laughs> it's totally okay You know, James has some really interesting thoughts about the way small groups can function, Joe. And I don't know about you, but some of those, that home church, small group, whatever you want to call it that he was part of, that's the kind of place that I wish I were attending sometimes. Now, I don't, I don't think I wanted to replace church at this point in time, but that kind of group of friends where you can just be raw and real and really get down to the nitty gritty of life with, I think that's really something rare and special. Yeah, I think it, it seems like that depth is is something that many people want to attain and have trouble, maybe have trouble attaining it. But I appreciate that the group was born out of a need 
And that really seemed to fuel the desire for them to, to get together. And um, I also appreciate the fact that, you know, he, he grew up as a PK, kind of stepped away from things for a while and became the leader of this group. And there's there's something very like, you know, a whole bunch of fishermen becoming disciples about that. And uh, I really, really, really appreciated this conversation, both uh, what we had on air and off air. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, it's born out of a need. You can't artificially create it. It has to be real. But I think that's, in so many ways, that's what we're all searching for sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But uh, you're not going to find it anywhere except for with Christians, in my opinion. So if uh, if you disagree with me, you should come on the podcast and talk about it. <laughs> Please. That sounds you. like fun. <laughs> yeah, it actually really does. We need to have a topic where, where we actually, like, disagree with people for a little bit because we've, we've had a lot of, like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, it's cool, it's cool. I want to have, de- have a little debate, So we're, which we're hoping to. We'll see. Should be in the um, works. Should be, yeah. All right. Well, hey, if you enjoyed this, take the, take the time, pause here now, leave us ratings, leave us comments, leave us money. We're okay with all three of those uh, in any order and in any combination. Uh, and if you have any guests, anybody that you want to be on here, you think they're just a great great personality, got something to say, we would we would absolutely love to have them on. So. And it can be you. You can think that you should be on this podcast. We're cool with that. Yeah, and if you're sitting there going like, well, maybe, like, yeah, you definitely should. Like, we're we're totally cool with having you on and talking about whatever you want to talk about. It'd be awesome. We only have so many siblings and friends, so seriously, <laughs> send us some suggestions. It's, I don't know. I got a lot of friends and a lot of siblings. And All right. I have a limited number of friends. <laughs> All right. Okay. Andrew, Andrew either needs more friends or needs more people on the podcast. <laughs> We could do both if you become my friend and then come on the podcast. Two birds. Perfect. Nailed it. (laughs) Well, hey, we really, really do appreciate you taking the time to listen and grow and share this podcast. We have been so blessed to be able to be a part of it, and we look forward to uh, being able to do this next time. I'm so ready to laugh. All right. Uh By the way... You're, um, you, this, I forget which episode it is, but like I do the, I'm here with my co-host Andrew Martin. And you <laughs> I've go, been trying to I do might. some form of hello that's different every time, but I'm like running out. Like I was really thinking, I was like, ah, I've already said hola. <laughs> it was, every time I hear it, it like it throws that's me That's awesome. Cause that's, so that's what I wanted to be there for. Anyway, now that we're 30 seconds into this recording. Oh, um, it's, it's serious face. Blah, blah, blah.